Welcome back to the Super Mill Brothers right here in the old podcast where it's crazy, but that's how it goes. Millions of people, I'm here to go. It's crazy. For some say, I'm Super Mill Brother Dan. <laughs> and I'm Super Mill Brother Matt. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Getting close to the end of the year, Danny. You know what that means. Oh, it's time for Christmas. Yeah, that's right. Daniel's second favorite part of the year. His first time of the year is obviously buying Super Mill Brother Matt's his favorite presents, which are CDs, CDs, and more CDs. Speaking of that, we're actually reviewing Dark Tranquility's latest release, Atoma Danny. So that'll be exciting to talk about later on. Yes, definitely. I'm not depressed or anything about that. I mean... Yeah, we talk a bit more about that, but depressing albums around Christmas time, interesting mix. Yeah, it can get a bit hard, especially, you know, if that uh, loved one didn't bring you exactly what you wanted for, maybe a kidney, or even just, you know, the latest uh, reunion of Nevermore, but uh, enough about my dark, depressing lifestyle choices. Uh, we're also going to talk about, in today's episode, a uh, the best and worst metal covers, so we're going to end up on a little bit of a, a happy note and a sad note, depends how, which way, if your band has done their self-justice or not, and um, first we'll talk about the music at Stanley. Yes, indeed, Matthew. What is uh, on the old news? Well, we're going to take it off from last week because um, we talked about this uh, in great detail. It was like a three-part stage, this news uh, story, and we're going to fill in our fans for you who don't know about it. Um, Phil Labonte from All That Remains uh, is now on vocals for Five Finger Death Punch for the rest of the tour. Now, the previous, uh, what, what, what we were asking about the previous singer for, uh, for Five Finger Death Punch, well, what happened to him is that he had a bit of a meltdown, Danny. Yeah, well, we should say previously, he's still the current singer. He's just um, gone on leave of absent because it was about... Well, it's funny because a couple of shows ago, he had to go off... He, he went on a bit of a run, a tangent, then he kind of left halfway through a show, citing um, health concerns. And then he came back a couple of days after and did the next show. It wasn't a big issue. And apparently, he said the reason he left the first one is because a mother figure of his died recently and I guess he was dealing with that emotionally, which is fine. That's acceptable. But then he came, I said, he come back two days later and do a full show again. And then now to take more time off for like the last, I think, eight or so shows, it's a bit bit of a weird one. Yeah, he's clearly not in the right headspace. So, you know, good on him. He stepped away now. Maybe the band's done it for him. But if you're a fan of Phil Labonte, and there's no reason not to be, he does quite a good job. He's from All That Remains, which are a metalcore band as well. So it's not too far away from the broken path of these guys. It's a fairly safe option, and they've done pretty well choosing him. Yeah, this Phil guy seems like a big gun of high. If you read the article, I think he also filled in for, I think, Kill Switch or something as well. So, yeah, this guy's got mad drops, man. Yeah, he does the whole lot. He does all those screams that you want. He does all that uh, very angsty vocals that everyone loves in metalcore, hardcore, uh, broken down core, breakdown core, I like to call it. <laughs> so Actually, the, the, interesting with hardcore is because they do have the melodic parts at times, you just can't fake sing it. Like yeah. if, I, if I if I was filling in for like an emperor or something, I'd just be like growling and it doesn't have to match the words, but no one can really tell. <laughs> ah, cool. You actually have to know the words, so give him credit. Yeah, we'll move on to our next song with Orgy. Now a lot of people know them as a pretty much a metal band, kind of industrial start sounding at times, but um, they've asked for a crowdfunding. Now normally in the ballpark, what you do as a crowdfunder is that you normally want a crowdfund for either a tour or maybe you just want to do it for mostly a, an album that you want released, you know. You want the album to get done to a decent level. But uh, they're asking for quite a lot of money from their fans for what they want to get out of this, Danny, eh? Yeah, it's right. It's, no, they just don't want the um, album. They want a tour. They want a film clip. And they also kind of like want to use this to start their own like label. Like, they, they just want to skip all the steps everybody else took to get there and just say, I want all these things now. Give it to me. Yeah. So... They're asking quite a lot from their fans. Normally, you'd ask for something quite low. And what we've seen from bands in the past is asking for a small fee that will cover the production costs of the album. 
And after that, the merch sales and then will go off and touring will do what it's supposed to do and make the money. But uh, Audrey just sort of cut all that out. And they were just like, no, we want the $100,000 stuff, like a label and massage chairs, ice buckets. You know, you need those for a, for a big day at the office, I'd imagine, Danny. Yeah, I could imagine. And $100,000 and had a year to raise this money. They got quite close. In the end, they only raised $7,000. So still nine three thousand more to go, which in the end is only one person. You might have that one big orgy fan who wanted to donate nine three thousand. Who, who knows? They, they should have suggested actual orgies. That would have yeah. probably raised more money for them. That's what they should have done. It's like when you when you like watch the uh, like the, the, the local um, let's say massage parlors yeah. and they have photographs of like all porn stars in there. It goes, oh, you, what Jenna Jameson works at a massage parlor? <laughs> oh, come <laughs> in. I was watching this documentary last night called Sons of Anarchy, and these guys happen to have. Uh, well, one of, the, one of the other guys that they're affiliated with has his own brothel in a sense. Like, they call it a massage parlor. And all the bikies are like, wow, we're in the wrong business. Like, you can do this all legal and just pay your taxes and your tariffs. And you can have girls, you know. Why didn't they just do that? You know? I, I was a bit concerned when you saw a documentary and a show's called Bands Called Orgy. I was like, mm, is this a documentary, <laughs> Matt? Mm, really? <laughs> I've seen so many documentaries on Friday nights, man. <laughs> it's been ridiculous. But no... What has been the biggest problem, Danny? Why did they fall so short of their arranged target? Well, the first thought I had is that asking for hundred grand is just too much, and people aren't. Well, I wouldn't be willing to donate to a cause which I find it's not going to achieve its target. I mean, that's that's a bit of a like negative, like um, defeatist attitude. But at the same time, re- reality speaking, hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money for a band to to like try to raise and yeah. Yeah, it sounds like they basically they weren't prepared to do the hard work and to network and rah rah rah. They just wanted all that, and their fans kind of caught winds of it. Keep it low, guys. Keep it steady, and uh, you'll be fine. So let's talk about Lamb of God right now. Chris Adler. Now he's been pretty busy. He's been in Megadeth for a bit. You know, he's obviously doing stuff with Lamb of God. He even appeared on a Protest the Hero album because he felt really bad for the guys. They were going through similar problems with uh, money being a problem, and could the band ever you know get through it? But they did. Uh, but this time now, he's been uh, turfed up with another band, Danny, a band that not many people in our generation might know about. No, I was one of those bands. I had to read this article and find out the band's called Nitro. But I do know the guitarist, and that's the uh, ever-fast, ever-present Michelangelo. Yeah, Michelangelo Baccio, Batio, Bassinger. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> We're never going to give that joke no, up. Thank you, Simpsons. Uh, yeah, look, you'll know Michelangelo as the guy who had literally a four-neck guitar. It's shaped like a cross, and he can play every single way. He can play with his left hand, he can play with his right hand, he can play above the fretboard, below the fretboard, above your mum. He's really good at those things, Danny. Amazing. It was really because he has a solo called Speed Kills, and yeah, this guy is a bit of a scrawny dude wearing like a gold gym singlet. You're like, uh, well, if he, if if that singlet was dedicated because how fast he plays on the guitar and how well he plays, I can't give him credit, but I wouldn't be saying he's a gold gym member. You can tell how fast he is because his haircut literally, you know those bowl cuts we had in the uh, 90s when we're like, everyone wants to be like Kurt Cobain and we want to be depressed, not shoot ourselves in the head. We don't go that far, <laughs> but um, we all got the undercut right and it's like literally the bowl cut. Well, Michelangelo must have spent all his time practicing so much to get so fast his hairstyle literally is a bowl. It, it's, it is just club fat, and he hasn't changed it in 30 years. Yeah, no time, man. You've got a good thing. You keep with it, mate. You know, that, maybe that's just, he's like Samson, and he, he gets his guitar playing strength from his average haircut. Uh, yeah, look, go, good luck with you guys. You know, from all the guys from the 80s who love that kind of stuff, it's just complete shred near classical, played at far faster than Pagani will play Piss His Pants with. That's who you want to listen to. But we'll move on to Randy Blythe. Now, this guy must have a lot of leeway. Because there was a uh, brief, uh, he got into the protesting for the Standing Rock, and just recently we found out that it actually succeeded. 
And now the uh, big oil tycoons now with their black snake, as the uh, people of the land would say, will have to come back at a later date. So uh, is Randy Blythe that good or is it just maybe they just don't like Flamber God as much? Well, you know something, that, that, this has been going on for a couple of months now, if not maybe a year, I'm not too sure, trying to stop this oil protest. And all of a sudden, Randy Blythe comes aboard and so it stops. So, yep, I'm just going to say easy answer, yeah, it's all Blythe. Yeah, they were like, they, oh man, I love the Sacrament album. Oh, dude, I'm so sorry, man. Nah, the oil's, it's like a, my dad thing. You know, I'll just put it in the back, man. We'll hotel it out afterwards. He's like, oh, that was easy. Yeah, easy. I mean, that, that's what we get. Randy Vlad, such a good guy, such great charisma, good on stage. People, people just swayed to follow this man. Yeah, and he was saying about how like there's a lot of people like taking camera shots and right, right. He felt kind of weird about it. like, dude, you're Randy Blythe, man. They're all starstruck. Before they left with their oil rig and you know, make a BP commercial break somewhere else, saying we're sorry, um, you know, they wanted to get a, mo- a moment with him, and uh, you know, good on, good on everyone. I think we've all learned something today, and that is don't mess with metalheads. Yeah, definitely, man. We got more sway and power than you can imagine. Also, do we, Danny? Heavy metal legends Metallica, especially James Hetfield, has come out saying he wants to take on ticket scalpers. Now, I'd imagine that this would be a long thing that they would have gotten onto before. And, uh, you know, he's always said, you know, that's uh, a million, like, how can one person buy 1,000 tickets for front row seats and then, ex- yeah, how. And expect to not be a scalper, you know. And then obviously they'll trade it off. In fact, the Super Metal Brothers were burnt with this, weren't we, Danny? Oh yeah, we we, we tried to buy the old Rainbow tickets to like Deep Purple. They they sold out within the first three minutes, and we're already on these. In 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 Europe, they have legal scalping websites. But literally within like a blink of an eye, they're already all bought off and already on this scalping website. It's just, and it's ridiculous because you know you, you're trying to be a real fan. You, you know you can't. Af- you know you're trying to afford it. You've you've saved your money to buy the ticket. What it's worth. Mm. And all of a sudden, a scalper is selling for three times money, and they didn't do anything. They yeah. just they just have better internet connection than you, and they were able to um. It's, it's weird because, like, literally the people who are promoters and that, do you think they deserve that money? And they still got it because they've sold the tickets. Yeah, they're the ones who got the bands down, they're organizing the seats, the prices, how much beer people can drink before they die. You know, all those really important things when it comes to doing gigs. But for some reason, you know, those scalpers just come in and just be like, ah, you know, the opportunity is there to do it. Maybe it's like a, a law thing or maybe they can do like they do here, just sell, like, two tickets per person maybe. Who knows what they're going to do about it, Danny? Yeah, I think what they should do, they should actually bring back that... Um Diehard, the diehard fan who used to like sleep over the night before in front of the ticket counter to get his tickets. I reckon they should bring that back in there. So, like in the first hour, whenever tickets go on sale, you can only buy them from over the counter. Yeah. And then after that, you can buy them in the net. So, if, if it's all the diehard fans who really want to line up and get good tickets, well, you, you literally have to be a diehard fan and you literally have to put the effort in. Yeah, literally. The ones who just love getting there at four o'clock in the morning, missing out for work, or and their kids who are just there saying, you, know, you have to go to school, but they really want tickets to the front ice show. This is the only way really of doing it, hey, Danny? Oh, I reckon. It's a bit of fun. You get a good story over. You meet, I mean, it's great because you end up killing time by like talking to people who are like minded because they like the same band as you. So, you already have that in. So, you know, you know, you got. Good people to talk to, a bit of fun, a bit of entertainment. Just, you know, trying to take a piss in the middle of the night when you're trying to hold a line, it's, it's a bit hard. Oh, it's a bit of a, a bit of hard one, but, you know, there's our there's our 20 cents, guys. You know, Metallica, we're here to help you out. You know, you need the money, right? So here we go, right? What's what we're going to do for you? They, they must like just to be like antagonist or something. First was Napster, and then, it was, <laughs> then it was some other type of piracy, and now it's this as well. So, hey, why not? They're bored, and, you know, look, there is there is beneficials for them, like, only for people like us, because in the end, the bands don't care, because as long as the ticks are sold, they don't give a shit. Yeah, But people like right. us, it's like, oh, come on, man. Seriously. People like us? What about people like Nickelback, Danny? May the Canadian police take down their goofy drunk driving arrest threat. Now, basically, the police in Canada will try to have a bit of fun with a pretty serious issue being drink driving. 
And they told basically to people, you know, if you get arrested, you know, we're going to drive you down to the cop shop. You're going to get a lot of money to pay for a fine. And we're going to subject you to the first Nickelback album. Uh, that is devastating. Even as a joke, it would pretty much be uh, quite hard for the people to actually understand how the, the weight of suicide that would be brought up as well. Yeah, it's a great deterrent, is it? I mean, we, we try to in Australia have these like, really poignant, very um, heartfelt, gut-wrenching uh, commercial breaks of people oh. dying and et cetera of drink driving. Production that has higher standards than literally some of the movies we see down there. Yeah, most Australian like cinemas and like TV shows, yeah, better production there. So they, they try the, that angle and can, can like, look, we, we'll just do what's obvious and scare really scare people and threaten them with um, torture. And and it worked to, to the point that Nickelback actually got offended by it. Nickelback got offended by this and told the police, look, now nah, you got to remove this ad because you're like hurting our feelings and stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, like, like the exposure to everything. Yeah, Nickelback is the joke, right? And it's like, they could become part of the joke, but they're still going to keep being Nickelback. And maybe this is why people are starting to hate them even more. Yeah, for, for, for a decent... Before the reason was arbitrary. Bad music, oh, well, you could argue that, but bad attitude, definitely. Definitely. It's just like that, that kid who goes, no, I'm not bothered by it, but it always gets like angry when you tease him. And of course you keep going, because oh, it's easy. I get a cheap laugh and a cheap throw out of it, and <laughs> I piss someone else at the same time. Uh, where, where's the loss here? Yeah, that's right. Well, we'll move on and to our next story with Vinnie Paul. Now, he's revealed that Dimebag Daryl, his late brother who uh, passed away to a, uh, a gunshot wound right to his... Uh, uh, to an unfortunate uh, end to his career, uh, an end to the end of Pantera's career. And now, he, apparently, Dimebag Dale used to write most of his riffs on the bathroom. And uh, admittedly, that's why the riffs were shit. The shit, man. Oh, that's the, I think that's why he that's where he came up with the uh, Dime Bomb as well. Ah, yeah, that's right. It's like the sound of a, a poo going into the toilet. Like, boo! Yeah, so most of my good work's always done on the toilet, but unlike Dimebag, mine gets flushed down it. He, <laughs> he writes songs from it, you know? Yeah, like, um, does that mean that like people have no reasons to be offended if we think Pantera riffs are crap? It's like, well, they oh, are crap, though. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think of it that way. Deep, man. Now, you can imagine the, the, the really bad roys that Dimebag must have had. Like, when, when you work on a song, you don't spend, like, two minutes writing a song. You would spend good... 10 to 30 minutes like f- mastering a song mm. this guy here he must have had oh he must have been a constant pain no what he did this is how he, a lot of people when they do like pre-production right when they're writing songs what they'll do they'll go down they'll go to like you know a fancy cabin somewhere or get inspiration from a loved one dying or whatever now what he would do is just go down to the Mexican fast food restaurant and order like three three thousand serves of the chili tobacco sauce, and uh, you know that's three hours on the can. That's at least four songs, ten songs maybe. Yeah, it's a lot cheaper than uh, hiring a recording studio as well. There I mean, go. apparently he even wrote a song called about Taco Bell. That's how that's how inspired he was to write songs on the can. He actually used his inspiration to or his his drive to use the toilet. He turned that into a song. You know what's even funnier is that he's that's uh, actually the uh, older brother, Vinnie Paul, the drummer, said that he actually brought in a tape recorder and all this musical recording equipment into the toilet uh, to record it. But I would assume that uh, maybe someone should have told him that was his bedroom that he was taking a crap in. <laughs> oh, I reckon, how big is this toilet? You fit a guitar in all this recording studio. Dude, I'm, I'd barely fit another person in there, let alone myself. And he's got like a guitar. And these guitars are not small. Yeah. yeah they had those massive, they were like the Michelangelo Basio thing. It was like literally as big as a house in a house it was like houseception it was crazy yeah maybe he also like, had like a little he had like a custom guitar he had like a toilet roll holder on his guitar as well just you know he spent so much time in there you've got to you got to start thinking uh, unilaterally here yeah so I'm glad that like if you think uh, Pantera was this shit or shit you're right yeah 
congratulations. You had a sixth sense. And Dimebag would have loved you for it. Indeed. So there you go, fans. We'll move on to Deep Purple right now. We thought Deep Purple were done, Danny. Honestly, we went from seeing them at the Entertainment Center full out to the very slow, almost, it looked like the end, didn't it? Yeah, I've been going to Deep Purple since like, I think, 97 when they returned to Australia. I've seen them, I think, three times in total since since their 97, early 2000s and late 2000s. One of the status quo, one of the journey. And yeah, so the crowd getting started getting smaller, smaller, smaller. But to my surprise, they're actually um, headlining... Hellfest. Hellfest. This, of all things, that's amazing. The biggest... It, it was bigger than Grass Pop. Like, literally, this thing was selling hundreds and thousands of people to a festival, crammed from ear to ear in an outside location, and Deep Purple are headlining it. Now, here's the thing. I didn't notice that Deep Purple, with their latest tour, are really marketing it as the end. So, yeah. a lot of people now, whether it is or not, just to ask, ask Kiss about it, you know? <laughs> they know better than anyone how much money nostalgia can sell, and by saying it's the end, people really don't want to miss out, because one time, it really will be the end, and they miss the boat. So, good on them, because Deep Purple have known for writing great songs, mostly if you like Richie Blackmore or if you like the new Steve Moore's, uh, retro, you know, his input onto the band, it's up to you. But uh, obviously, with the passing of John Lords, it's um, kind of a mixed bag, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Deep Purple's definitely had as many faces throughout the area. I think the Mark II face is the one where people most relate to, where most of the great hits came from. Mm. But they're still going. They got inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last year, which is, or start this year, which is long overdue. So... Right. Hopefully, look, I mean, you're right, the, the, the title of this last tour is called The Long Goodbye, and who knows, it might be a goodbye or it might just be a new album they're releasing soon. A long up goodbye as long as a piece of string, really. You know, they can bring it out for as long as they feel they need to, but uh, they do deserve it. Even if literally the one song that they didn't want on the album, Smoke on the Water, got them to the uh, stage, there was plenty of songs before that that got them, you know, right up there anyway. Yeah, even one cover song that we shall discuss later. We will. Let's talk In Flames. Now, this is the th- funny thing, Danny, because we reviewed the latest In Flames album last week and we didn't too much care for it. And news must have gotten to the Gothenburg camp because bass player Peter Iwas has quit after nearly 20 years with the boys. Do you think Metal Brothers is really reaching out this far across the world? Yes. That's it. Why? I mean, first it was Allegion with their um, band struggling financially, and now this guy here as well. It's just like, you know, unfortunately, if you want us to cover your, you know, if you release an album and we cover it and it's terrible, well, then you pay the contract. Yeah, your idea isn't to make your fans happy. Your idea is to make Super Metal Brothers happy because we got sway. We got leverage around here, and apparently we know people that they don't. And <laughs> we, we are more sway <laughs> than uh, Randy Blythe at the uh, Rock there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's uncanny. It's it's We're uglier too, so I don't quite know how that works. But I'm sure it does. Well, how do you think Deep Purple got the headline, Matt? You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. We're just saying. But um, yeah, look, we're going to feel for it because they've only got, I think, one or maybe even two members of the original lineup left, haven't they? I don't know. The singer definitely being one. And, uh, you know, if you agree with the old guitarist that left, uh, yeah, maybe he's not that, you know much of a loss maybe he is who knows but uh you look flames have changed so much now this is definitely the mark three or four version of it so you know the loss of the bass player doesn't sound like it's going to impact too much because the writing has changed drastically anyway the last three albums yeah no definitely what we reviewed lately mm, doesn't look good for flames future no his future also doesn't look very good is probably uh slayer denny oh really why is this matthew interesting you know floor jansen don't you we all know floor jansen the girl the woman i should say who can make the earth move from under your feet by singing the g-note oh man she's yeah, amazing amazing she is so unreal whether you see her in her solo projects to, to night wish it doesn't matter 
But what she doesn't like is Slayer. Now, she's quoted as saying that they are dreadful, they're terrible, and they are unbelievably boring. I have never seen anyone who had the biggest enough balls, especially coming from a woman, to call out one of the biggest metal acts of all time. Well, she's not. She's also a Dutch lady, so she's like six foot twenty. So that she's she's taller than all four of them combined. And I'm talking Kerry yeah. King because that guy is short. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So look, and now that she's becoming a mother, she's Jewish. She's probably like, yeah, you know what? I'm a mother now. I can say what I want to say because that's how it rolls these days. Yeah. So look, give. I mean, give her credit. That is a very ballsy thing to say, but I don't think it's going to affect uh, the Nightwish fan because yeah, you know, that's right. Her fans are so secure in the fact by that. Even if they agree that like, oh, no, I got a couple of slayer songs I like, they're going to be like, well, that's Floor Janssen, like. You know, she can sing anything. You know, and do you think her merits are warranted though? Do you, do you think there's like any little bit of like, I don't understand what people can like about it kind of thing? Like she's just completely out of touch with the metal fan, or do you just think honestly that uh, yeah, she's the right metal Slayer overrated? Well, I just don't even know where it even came from. Like it's just like this one qu- random quote. I'm like, there must be some sort of backstory or context to this because. It just it just seems like a weird thing. So you just wake up and do it. Yeah, fuck Slayer. It's like what? All right, maybe she is as. Uh, awesome as a singer as she is hormonal as a woman maybe so like she is so good at everything she's even better at menstruating and right now she's just going off I'm just saying I don't know her personally but maybe that period blood is so vicious and vile it's just come out and spew and taking the form of Floor Janssen and that's Haven I Got Slayer and like Floor Janssen somewhere in Belgium eating waffles or something yeah let's go with that because <laughs> There can't be any other reason for it. I don't know. Cause, I mean, Slayer ain't even really that like dominating in the charts or anything lately. So oh, I just it just seems like a weird thing just to say randomly. Yeah, it's maybe maybe she's been asked in every single interview. Hey, what do you think was a Slayer? <laughs> you know, like it became a joke. Like then everyone caught in wind of it. It's like oh my god, she hates it. Like, and they just know that she's gonna say yeah, something. Yeah, trigger. Yeah. And then finally, she was so triggered, like a uh, like a student at uh, you know California College or something. You know, in the states. You know, it's like uh oh, safe space alert. And you're going for it, yeah. Maybe. Look, oh, they, they, I'm. I, I'm guessing there'll be some sort of backlash to this because, like, saying Slayer fans and Slayer himself, they're, they're, they're let's say passionate is the word. You know? Yeah, um, aggressive, uh, uh, violent. <laughs> you know how people murderous like, is, yeah. is that? What, yeah, you know how people like normally write their name or address or phone number in their hand and pen so they don't forget it. Yeah, these guys like carve slanted their forms so they don't forget their favorite <laughs> band. What's my favorite band again? <laughs> Daniel. Oh no, sorry, Slayer. That's right. <laughs> Look, yeah, on the on the right arm it says Slayer, and on the left arm carved in blood with a knife. It's like, look at your right arm. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Oh my god, we're gonna move on to our covers to our editorial, guys. Our editorial this week, we've asked the fans the best and worst covers done in a heavy metal style. Now, this has been acted because we saw on the uh, Team Rock or like a heavy metal publication a website that uh, Joey Belladonna uh, and Slayer did a cover of Bright Adam's Summer in 69. And that got us curious to see how we thought about it first to see if it was actually a good cover. And then we kind of forgot about it and then we decided to make our own list. Yeah, I guess Floyd Lanson didn't like that cover. Maybe that's where she came from. Maybe she's like, <laughs> The yeah. murdering Brian Adams! Because <laughs> Brian Adams is Canadian. He's too polite to say you've destroyed my song. So maybe that she had yeah. that for him. He, he called he called Floyd Lanson like, Floyd, you got to do something, man. You're like seven feet tall. You can like eat them or something. <laughs> I'll go to back, Brian. Check this out. <laughs> uh, but we asked our fans uh, what they thought of their good and bad ones. And we even got our own that we made a list of. So we'll talk about our fans first. Uh, the 
they got with good ones. So they most all our fans came out and said, "Look, they can't even think of bad ones." But uh, Michael Gibbons, Caliban, Cloverfield EP, Helter Skelter. Now, that's a Beatles cover, but you wouldn't know it because Caliban doing what they do best: hardcore breakdowns, brutal times. Yeah, cool. I think Helter Skelter has been like I think every band covers Helter Skelter. I think that's yeah. just like a generic band cover. Yeah, it's a, it's a popular one, but this one isn't so popular. Now, Michael, uh, sorry, Matthew Owen has said Twilight Guardians, the band, La Isa Bonita. That is a Madonna cover, and that was done in a style very similar to what Children of Bodom would do. So it was actually like a nice cover. It actually very, very harmonic, very catchy, but it's got that drive, you know, that gallop that kind of goes through the whole song, which you either love or you don't with every Iron Maiden song, I guess. Yeah, no, great. Um, yeah, school when you have these uh, very unique covers there. Yeah. Yeah, Amy Linwood has come out and given us quite the list, so we're going to just cut it down to the, some of the really juiciest bits. Chaos Divide do a pretty good cover of Africa. She also likes the Epica cover of Fear Factory's Replica, but uh, agrees with our Disturbed um, basic crit- criti- uh, critiquing over the last couple of weeks with they do indulge in covers too much. And she even recommended a band called The Lounge Kittens, which actually cover heavy metal songs in a very cool, calm, certainly, basically like a jazz club. Oh, well, why not? I think there's another guy as well, um, uh, jazz dude who used to sing all these like um, uh, classics and he turned into uh, jazz icons as well. That's right, like, he's like that Kruger guy and yeah. he does all that. Yeah, I remember that vaguely at our New Year's Eve party. I was like, this is really awesome. But then, you know, scotch happened and uh, <laughs> that's the night, I guess. Yeah, then we needed it to be heavier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But what about some of our favourites, Danny? You know, we want to let you guys know some of the things that you guys need to check out in the best covers. And right on top of the list has to be Anal Nakrath's Power Slave, Danny. Yeah, that only came to us recently. I think uh, watching it, listening to that old Andrew Hogue radio, andrewhogue.com, for your 24 hours heavy metal needs. And yeah, we, we heard this one on it. We thought, this is amazing. What yeah. is this? Yeah. Uh, this actually didn't even sound like, an, for Matthew's sake, didn't even sound like an Iron Maiden song. Yeah, one, one thing is I liked it, and that's really hard for me to, to admit that. But um, actually, it's really easy to me because this song really doesn't sound like a, an Iron Maiden song at all. It takes, but it takes a, enough of it to be familiar, which is brilliant. When a band does this, goes to the effort of not just covering a song, but making it their own and giving a Night and Lincoln Award to the original, it's just fantastic. And they perfected this. Yeah, no, definitely. I guess the second one, it's also Killswitch Engage's Holy Diver. Very hard. That's an iconic song, a classic song, a metal icon song. And- but, but divided because some people were like so in love with Dio that to even touch upon the beauty that is the, his songs and the band that he worked with uh, is... It's sacrilegious in itself, but you know, maybe being a bit harsh on it. Yeah, no, I thought it was a good cover. I enjoyed it, man. I yeah. think it was a fun cover too. Yeah, you know, and I think some people need to understand that. Uh, you know, it gets people talking, gets gets more recognition to the legends, which I think it did very, very well. And uh, I think yeah, we loved it as well, which is even better. Uh, Leander Rising, a lot more people are going to know who this is. This is a very, very out of left field band, but they did a song called Only Girl, and I love it because this thing sounds like a groove metal masterpiece. They had a lot of fun with it. And um, just sounds brilliant. So you have to check that out, I reckon. Oh, it's neat to me, man. Death. Yeah, this is a great one. It's a painkiller. That was a fantastic cover, you know? Now, this is weird because I did not expect Chuck Schrodinger to get this high. Like, normally when you hear Chuck Schrodinger in Death, it's very much a scream. And it's very mid-range, you know? He does it quite well. But he goes above and beyond, doesn't he? Oh, it is, yeah. It's just power and it just keeps going and going. going. Like the, the original painkiller song is a great song and has that power intensity, but this version here, you just, oh, you add the double kick, and you add the wailing guitars, crazy solos, it just gives a bit more to it. Yeah, I remember the interview with the, the drummer, and um, he actually was told 
by Chuck on the day we're recording. It's like, look, I just want you to just do some wank. Like, just do some drum intro just over the top thing. And he's like, okay. So, what you heard at the intro was just basically him just going for it. And I think that's just the whole tone for the song. Like, they, these guys just go for it. That solo is just out of control. And the singing is just over the top, incredibly insane power. Nutsness. I don't even know. I can't even call what. What is it? What is it, Danny? Oh, it's just great. Just, just great. All uh, filler, no filler. Mercenary Not Music Nonstop. They actually covered another band from the native homeland, I think in Denmark, and they do a great cover. This is a very nice ballad that works really, really well. I'd love to hear this at my wedding. So for any mister out there who wants to hitch me up, uh, you need to love this song first. So that's more important, Danny. Yeah, I gave that. You're, you're my brother. You need to be make sure you have to let these guys know out there. All this right. is what's important in my life right now. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I mean, like, any 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 attention Mercenary can get now is appreciative, so that's that's good for them. However, the most underrated cover that should have got credit but didn't for another band. Yeah, it's um, Deep Purple did Hush. Yeah, oh. I had to bring Deep Purple back to this because, yeah, uh, Hush was actually not their original song. Yeah, everybody thought it was. They yeah, covered it and they did a good job of it. They made it so famous, but thank you for cutting off from talking about Nevermore. Oh, that one. I'm talking Sounds of Silence, the actual one that actually is like an Anna Karath. The original interpretation, it is like the, the basics of the song with the lyrics, but Jeff Loomis just goes for it and writes a very heavy, catchy, memorable uh, riff, riffarola, riff, riftopia, even if you will. It still took me a long time to realize this actually was a cover because I know it was called Sound of Silence and there was like a little passage in the middle where he is pretty much just repeating the same like chord structure, song structure, or the same melody, fine. But the rest of the song, good luck guessing. You, you literally don't really think it is a cover you think it's their own song yeah and even I would argue Disturbed Land of Confusion that's actually a decent cover I know it's a Phil Collins song but I think it actually gets across pretty well gets people back into it and remembering those times listening to the 70s of uh, what well, well, a song that's just really timeless it's just you know and they've done well to, to pay homage to it yeah that's great and again it's good when metal bands do like pop songs and they put a little twist to it because it's it's good writing. But let's go ahead and talk about the bad. And right on top of that, let's again disturb make it with The Sounds of Silence. Now, a lot of people are going to defend this as being a great song or a great cover. However, I don't think they do much else to separate it from the original. Um, I, I think it's really just a the the last track on the Believe album, same same kind of thing, but they just used Sound of Silence on it. So I wasn't really interested at all. Very controversial, Matt. This thing exploded on the net. Oh, no. Fucking band on X Factor. They sang on X Factor. So, yeah, but that's the you know, journalists. They see past the, the um, sparkly, twinkly lights and they see the darkness. What, what, what about we bring Deep Purple back into the stand with that Dimmy Borgier? Yeah. Perfect Strangers. How about this cover? This is like one of the beastiest black metal bands coming out of Norway, or at least they've marketed themselves pretty well like that. A lot of people would argue others but let's not get into semantics if we don't have to um what do you think this cover i i thought it would be suited to them like it's it's very like slow power song you have a lot of potential to put your like symphonic sounds and orchestra sounds because you already have the keyboards because of john lord so i thought it would suit their sound but no it's just no it's just very boring cover yeah, the there is de- it just sounds dead. And for an album, for a band that's black metal that talks about dead a lot, you reckon they would have got it right. But unfortunately, you hear this song and it's just like, hello, where's the feeling? Like, it doesn't transition well. When it gets to the heaviest part of the song, right in the middle, you think, all right, they're going to redeem it. Everything that's happened before, Golda and the boys, Shagr- uh, Sil- whatever their name, I think it was like Silenos at the time or Shagroth at least, you thought they would have done it justice. But. It sounds even lighter than the intro. And I was like, how did you make the heaviest thing that Deep Purple have ever done and make it sound like a pop ballad? Yeah, I agree. Black metal band. Yeah, I agree. I thought, yeah, 
made no sense. Oh, Matt, we shall continue on to the next one. Oh, let, let's talk about uh, iconic bands of all time being molested by bands who probably could play them off the park technically, but just forgot the one thing about playing a song, and that's making sure you get the right feel. And Dream Theater do no justice with Stargazer at all, Danny. Yeah, Stargazer is like a metal anthem. Like You have jazz classics or jazz standards. And this is like the metal equivalent. It's like a song any metalhead needs to listen to, needs to appreciate. Uh-huh. And everyone just needs to even own the copy of Rainbow Rising and Dream Theater. You think, yeah, on the cards, they have they hold the right tools. But it wasn't. It was just another uninspiring cover. Yeah, and you really get the hit when James LeBee starts singing how far off the pace he is from Dio, Ronnie James Dio. It's almost insulting um, that it'd be unrecognizable that it's even Dream Theater to a degree. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, J- James LeBee can't, Definitely does the worst job of everybody on here. Everybody else just does like standard, like simple things. But James Brick does, he's hard to cover, dear. He's such a great singer, great, powerful singer. You really, mm, you really need to have the ability behind you. Yeah, so we're going to keep moving on with Nemic. Now, they've done a song from one of my favorite bands, uh, Duran Duran. A lot of people know that, but people who know me very well know it and still look at me confused to this very day about it. Now, they covered a song Wild Boys, uh, Nemic did, and it's just not the right song for the style they're in because it really ends a great album, which is the, the Audio Injected Soul. I'm pretty sure it is, that album. And it really just finishes it on a bit of a downer because that album finishes technically on a great song, but um, yeah, this this track, Danny, it's uh, it's no good. Yeah, shame, isn't it? It is a shame. We're going to move on to Oracles with Beautiful People. This is an album that I really wanted to review this year, and I think we're going to run out of time, so we're not able to review it. Uh, it got some great tracks on it. Half the guys from a board featured on it. Um, we'll we're going to get into it, but uh, you know, so many classic albums got released this year that we had to review for it. But they released, uh, towards the end of the album, a Marlon Manson cover, Beautiful People. And again, they do what they did with Dream Theater. They just take some of the f- like actual energy out of the song and just play it by the numbers. There's also there's always a trick. When you're trying to cover a song, you really have to change and make your own because you're not writing it from the same space the original writers and did it. So you don't have the same intensity or same emotion to it. So unless you try to create yourself, like some of the good ones we mentioned, like Nevermore Sound Silence, you, you, it's going to come off flat and uninspiring. So it's a trick. It's a trick, and you got to you got to be careful of that. But and I think this really matters until the very, very last one. This is last and certainly least of all any covers I've ever heard. This song has just got me going. Like, why did you try to do it? I mean, I can see why in the band's head they thought they were doing the right thing, but it didn't even seem like a good stylistic choice from the band, being a metalcore band, and covering an album, a song that's such an amount of emotion and and more. Not even it's more like a ballad almost, you know. And I'm talking about the band called All That Remains. Now, on an album, I think Overcome it was called. They had on the very very last track as a bonus track, if you will, they covered a Nevermore song, which for a lot of people would confuse them. Like they had no inkling to even be Nevermore fans. You hear their metalcore style that they've gone through, even the popular influences of late. But then you hear this song and you're like, this is the worst thing that you could ever have done. Like you've tarnished the name of Nevermore. You've kind of ruined yourself in the in in thing by recovering a bad song. It doesn't do anyone justice. Yeah, it's actually interesting because normally if you, if you, there's a bit of a pattern here is that heavier bands always cover bands not as heavy as them. So yeah. you have the ability to increase your intensity or add something more dynamics to make it your own. This is the opposite. This is a band who's not as heavy as the original band, and they try to cover it. And unless you're very clever, like you, you change the melody around or do something different, even like or completely strip it back, like 
disturb the sound of silence, which is not great anyway. If you just do something different, at least it helps you. But to get a heavier band and take the intensity away, it just uh, doesn't work. It starts very much from the very start. When you hear the guitars coming, you're like, oh, this doesn't sound quite right. And then all of a sudden, it all drops off like the song does. And it goes into an acoustic section, which doesn't have the same reson- doesn't resonate with you nearly as strong as the acoustics does with Jeff Loomis and the playing. And then you hear the vocals come over it. All that emotion-fueled, um, just complete dystopian world that... Um, only one that uh, the singer of Neverwell can create, while Dane can actually create with his voice, then is replaced with this angsty, droning, that falsetto stuff that uh, it's just no good, Danny. Like this, and then that's it. For the rest of the song, you're just kind of left with this really weak and just emotionless, um, you know, travel through mediocrity. No, it's a shame because you really like Nevermore. I do like Nevermore, and that's the thing. I love all that remains. And for them, they could, they should have done something else. Like you said, Daddy, it wasn't a smart move from them as a marketing tool to kind of get them interested. Because when you get to cover a band with such amount of technique and and songwriting and really, yeah, technicality on all ends, but they could have done anything else. And um, yeah, unlucky guys. We still love you. Just don't cover Nevermore again. We'll be best of mates. We'll finish up the ugly. Now, Daniels hasn't heard this album, but I can attest that the worst of the worst, this one wasn't even referring to one song. This is referring to one whole album that a band did, Children of Bodom. Now, they had an album called Skeletons in My Closet. In the Closet, sorry. That's Skeletons in My Closet, how much I hate this album. (laughs) It's out now. (laughs) It's out now, right? But um, weird. It was just weird. This album came out, and I thought it was a new title. Now, I just bought Hate Crew Death Roll from the band, and I was like, oh, my God, these guys are unstoppable. What a great band. And this album was so bad that if I could have returned every album of Children of Bodom that I bought before that instance, I would have actually used it. In my toilet, where where Dimebag wrote half of his songs for Pantera, and then I would have given it back to him because it, it's just all a drunken mess. Yeah, it's actually funny. I mean, it seems to be a bit of a popular thing recently, like doing um just cover albums. I mean, I think Hailstorm did a cover album. Yeah, you had uh, Zark has done as many as we can think about. Yeah, Adrenaline Mob did um, Averter, a Converter lately. Uh, you've also had like these uh, Deep Purple Machine Head got re-released, and that was all full of covers. And even uh, Ronnie James Dio had the um, Rainbow. Uh, had the Dio whole albums dedicated to him. Okay, it's more of a tribute album, but still it's all like cover album. So yeah. seems to be the thing at the moment. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe the labels like know they can get money out of the fans and to provide the least amount of work and the band hasn't actually do much. Yeah. They just have to get on their recording, jump in a studio one day and just kind of smash it out. Hardest thing, obviously, learning the songs. But uh, writing the songs, again, takes a long time, a lot of energy and uh, yeah. There you go. So that's our thought on the best, the worst, and the ugliest heavy metal covered songs in metal. Let's move on to our CD review with Dark Tranquility, Danny. Yeah, this is a, I guess, a, an old band that Matthew, you've, you've kind of been into for a while now. You've bought a couple of the older albums and yep. you're a really big fan of them at one stage. And I guess it's uh, good to see them still going around. But what do we have to say, you know? Yeah, this album, Atomo, obviously released in 2016 from Dark Tranquility. This is the seventh, sorry, this is the 11th full uh, length album from the studio. Swedish Miller, like Death Masters. Um, they've been obviously around for quite a long time, as you can tell. But what they've had is a bit of a going through the motions. They've really had some great albums coming up to it. Then late last couple of albums, they did peak out. Now, the reason probably why for that is was um, the... Uh, one of the members, founding members, Martin Erickson on rhythm guitars, left the band early due to loss of passion in playing music. Now, that might have been apparent because there were some albums previous to that that I actually owned that I wasn't too much of a fan of. 
But uh, here we are. We're here to review the latest album. Have Dark Train Clarity redeemed themselves and have they gone back to their classic ways or are they just continuing on that uninspired, maybe even end of their, you know, end of the ship kind of sailing away? Let's talk about it, Danny, for a sec. Yeah, for sure. I guess like everything, we'll start with the old riffs on the album. And for me, uh, riffs wise, there wasn't that many real crunching heavy riffs. I guess this band's not really known as really crunching heavy riffs, they're more of that melodic feel. So for me, like tracks one and four, they did have some really good like jamming heavy riffs that just got me to get along. The rest from the air was just pretty much strong melodies. I guess they kind of relied on, you know. Yeah, they they're really good at layering songs, and what they do here is the money riff nearly not as much. You know, there are some riffs that are really catchy, and you look forward to hearing them on the thing, but never the riffs are really a standout moment. Like Dan was saying, it's about setting up some good chords and some good passages of rhythms and having some strong melodies come over the top, whether that be from the guitarist or the keyboardist. And that I will say that these guys have done well on this album for sure. They've gotten back to those interesting moments where the melody takes it over and the feeling of the song comes across. And I think that, that the riffs here are very strong indeed, especially for an 11th album where they could have gone anywhere with it does kind of step back from what they used to do, uh, especially back in the day. I really remember, especially the character album, how much I would play around with time signatures and the, the the distance between heavy and light styles were much more obvious. Here, however, they're setting up a much more somber feel and uh, it helps around with the depression and that kind of wet blanket feel that you get from Silent Hill video games. But um, it still does a job really well and I think there's only one song on this album really that has that very unusual time signature uh, I come across, but they do it pretty naturally. It was all pretty organic. Yeah, this the, the songs here they kind of uh, reflect. They remind me of like a kid or someone you know who's like really good at stuff, but they don't really want to show it out or be too obvious with it because they feel like oh, people would judge them for it or they don't think they're good as they could be. So it reflects in their riffs. Like they'll have strong riffs, and strong melodies, but they don't really make it punchy. They don't really make them stand out. So it's kind of like, oh, we've, we've got the ability, but I'm just withdrawing myself because, you know, I'm mm. I'm not confident in me. Uh, I just need to work on me. How's that feel? And it has that feel greatly for the next thing we're going to cover, which is the vocals. And this thing here, unfortunately for me, hasn't... One thing I was looking forward to most with every Dark Tranquility album is seeing what the vocalist or hearing what the vocalist will bring into the next one. But Mikhail Stain, uh, the vocalist and the lyricist for uh, the band does what he does in every album, and that is that really screamy, blacky metal thing, which sounds very unusual over melodic death metal, where you normally get a growl and higher singing. What he does here is that very harsh, almost gurgly. That's the thing. I found that when he's done, the way he approaches the album, he sounds more angrier than he ever has in a long time, which has been good, but it sounds a little bit more gurgly than he normally has, and it isn't any different. And for that that might turn off some listeners. He hasn't evolved much with his style. He just brings it to another level, to say. But um, the singing comes back there. You see from the other album, which I own, I think it's um, Fiction, that album. I think it was when he started doing it there. He might have done it beforehand. I'm not too sure. But uh, yeah, it's pretty much just that very low singing. It kind of feels like a Catatonia song. And then he just goes to that scream and that's it. Two gears. Yeah, it is pretty much two gears. Again, it's like the old um, Outrun 2000 games, either low or higher. Yeah. And that's a two mode. So his melodic singing, like, is, is that, again, going for the somber, um, quiet, soft, low range feel. Nothing overly technical. Pretty much anyone could probably sing that stuff. Um, and then his growling, it literally is the same growl over and over again. It's the whole staccato sound. There's, he doesn't, like, elaborate anything or hold anything. Um, sometimes he goes with a bit more intensity. Yeah, and, and that's pretty much all you get. It, it's just that—that's all. 
Yeah, and that's the biggest thing I wanted because there's certain songs, because what what Dark Quality are really good at doing is setting up a very good uh, storytelling with, with songs, you know? And the way it starts and then it gets you through the motions. And I would love to hear this guy for certain sections pull something else out to really convey how much he's going through some pain or anguish or struggling, you know? And uh, it never comes across. And it's hard because with, with death metal per se, like technical death metal and that, you can get away with it. Black metal, for sure, you know? That could also work in certain degree but for this kind of stuff you really need to go to another place and uh i didn't really feel it with the vocalists in fact i would almost say that uh it's probably a bad thing about the album um i really feel bad for the guy because i love this band so much but it's more of the same so yeah no definitely i being like a bit of a singer it, it was very hard it took me a while to get into this album and really had to listen to it because the singing just kept throwing me off it was just it was just Bit oh, same same after all, but to be fair, at least on track eleven, uh, I think track eleven, Merciful Fate, has got kind of like a black metal intro to that. So you know, at least his singing can match that song a bit better. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on to the groove of the album now. So, Danny, with the whole entire thing from this top to bottom, did you find that um, it, it really got you moving and dancing and stuff like that, or did you? Uh, how do you feel? Because this album is definitely a, uh, a bit of a downer sometimes. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. And to be fair, this wasn't the best week for me to be listening to a downer album. So that's what made it so hard for me to get into. But as in grooving-wise, I think tracks, again, one and four were probably the only two tracks I thought were pretty like head-bopping or fast-paced or enough for me to get excited by the riffs that I'll consider it groovy. Okay. Now, here's the thing that I would uh, disassociate now because I think this band has a groove factor in almost every song. But it doesn't make you move, but it makes you feel. And for me, I got a lot of time that I... Because the drumming in it gets to a point or a place, and we'll talk about um, diversity in a set, guys. But with the uh, groove, I feel like that the drummer does quite a good to keep energy going. Because a lot of these riffs are very sad, and a lot of the things can happen. But sometimes the groove will come from the guitarist and that, but the drummer will push it along really nicely. To the point, like, for example, songs like Atoma, they actually felt really dancey for me. And I felt like it, I could go groove along to it. This band was great for doing that back in the day, and I think they brought it back really well here too with the groove. However, I will contest that if this isn't your style, this is going to be a tough listen to because it is very depressing. The style choices, the notes, chord progressions and that, and that's what this band's very good at. It was very good at setting a dark tone. However, I would, I would say that, yeah, for me, I loved it. I thought the uh, groove was a very fun and enjoyable listen for me, and I loved hearing that every next track, to be honest, Danny. Yeah, uh, that's fair. I mean, that's fine. That's for you to say. I mean, I agree, agree with the feel part to it, but I wasn't yeah for me it was just a bit too somber yeah and that's what we'll talk about diversity now the thing obviously with dark tranquility and they're very great at doing this that's why i think they've gotten so much respect from their melodic death metal crowds whereas some bands will really much like put a death metal uh verse pop chorus wash rinse repeat right i think sky symmetry and bands like that are very guilty for doing that whether they would uh admit it or not i still think that's uh that it's a good very good cop bad cop very much similar to what the hardcore metal scene was like in in the states right but I would say with Dark Tranquility, they do a lot more to break things up with interesting time signatures, interesting grooves, layers with keyboards, um, special effects, you know. There's just so much going on, but they mix it in pretty well all together and the, they have their ballads, they'll have their dancier songs, their fast songs. Uh, I think it's enjoyable for a listener to that. But did you think on this album they did it well on all, all of it together, Danny? Uh, again, tricky. This album, and because they use the same minor keys and the same tone, the same somber feel... It, the diversity can be sometimes feel like it's lost in that. But look, it's hard because you're right, they do have the fast songs and the slow songs and the um, uh, different intros and the choir feels and epic choruses. So they do have a lot of different components. 
But again, I don't know if it's a production failure because they don't make yeah, certain instruments stand out, certain riffs stand out or break it up. It's just sometimes hard to really get excited by the changes because they're, they're too subtle. I don't know. It's, I don't know it's just, for me, it was... You're right, there are, there are stuff there with a lot of differences there, right? you know, but it's just, it just was hard for me to get excited by these differences. Fair enough. And I think the biggest problem for me is that it's not so much the diversity that's the biggest problem, the album, it's the production values. Now, the production values for me, like Dan was saying, is very similar the whole way through. So nothing, no real songs sound too different from each other because it really feels like the same distortion sound, the same drum mixes, the same levels and stuff. And I think the biggest uh, changing factor is the synth keyboards and all that kind of stuff, right? Now, I'll argue from my sense that I got a lot out because I think the songwriting itself was very good for most of the album. Uh, it was very rarely that I was like bored. Uh, it was most of the time I was very enjoying it and waiting to hear what kind of um, what kind of way they would go down. But that's the one thing that interests me about Dr. Cleary, that it, they were never like Catatonia or Opeth to a degree like now where they were so sad and so depressing that it took away to a boring factor. They were sad and depressing. They had an energy about them and had a way of telling a story that uh, appealed to me more and this album does it really well in that sense but they are got the same problems they did in the past it's like if you don't like that sound there's another 10 11 tracks of that exact same sound even though the diversity is different is that confusing Danny? nah that's exactly how i felt and it's i mean the good thing about them at least that they know how long to make a song oh perfect i mean that they don't drag it out or they do like oh we have to we have to do this because all songs have a solo here or we have to do like a second chorus or whatever their songs are all correctly length and there's enough going in them for them to be um yeah good songs like saying yeah the, the, the songs are good melodies were good it's just uh, that that production is just it's just too same same i agree now before i put an um a rapper and bow around this i would argue however this is probably for me one of the most enjoyable albums i've bought this year now we've listened to almost about 20 albums this year and this is an album that uh, and we only reviewed it in flames last week we were listening to mellow death from the giants of mellow death right in flames and how far they've fallen off from you know 25 years almost in the industry and dark tranquility are still writing songs for me that resonate really well because they haven't forgotten what made dark tranquility great in the first place and that's creating a very dark atmosphere that will appeal to a very particular crowd yeah i mean that's that's probably fair to say you're right i mean i would definitely recommend this album over in flames i think in flames they just seem to be falling off the tracks a bit and Dark Tranquility, again, it, it, it's it's pretty much because of it, the style of the stuff that I'm not a big fan of the style, and that's why it's hard for me to get into it. But like I saying, if you like that somber, um, slow, minor style, yeah, you'll you dig it. And I freaking love it. Now, for me, Fiction really encapsulated a good high point in the band's sound when they started to move away from character with a lot of changes in time signatures and stuff like that and go to a more straightforward feel to agree, but retaining what made Dark Tranquility special. Obviously, we had The Void came in and it really unsettled a lot of Dark Tranquility fans because though it felt kind of sad, it didn't feel very inspired. But I'd love to say for myself personally, Atomite is back to a step in the right direction and I'd wreck it just as highly. Maybe as fiction, I could give it more time with it. But I really, really enjoyed this album that much, guys. And uh, my personal favourites are highly recommended for melodic death metal fans, but also uh, metal fans who are into very dark, uh, depressing styles it's not even slow but it has a very strong emotional aspect to it which I'd recommend to a lot of friends yeah and if you if you want to listen to a Dark Tranquility song but you don't want to slash your wrist get, listen to track 9's Clearing Skies and oh. that's actually like a major key it's like that's, that is like uh, 
it's like a green, a red thumb. It just stands out. This is weird because it, it feels like a dark tranquility song, but it doesn't necessarily sound like one. Because like Dan was saying, this is a happy song. All those chordal uh, passages come back and it's like, hold on, I just went from like hacking myself off to finding out how many uh, uh, circles in a rope I need to tie up to support my weight to, um, oh, so, uh, like, ice cream? <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, like, unbelievable. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll just make our top 10 at the end of the year. You know, you're going to have to check it out in only two more weeks. We're going to do our top 10 back then. But, uh, Danny, final thoughts on Atoma from Dark Tranquility? Uh, again, look, if, if you want to listen to a uh, melodic death album, don't worry about flames. Check these guys out. Yeah. Uh, again, look. Again, strong melodies, you just got to like the style, and that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and if you only like Superman Brother Matt's, then you're going to uh, really buy this album and you love yourself for it because I think this album is great. But, uh, you know, not everyone has as uh, dark and brooding thoughts as I do, especially when my teams in sports lose. I do get very <laughs> angry. You wouldn't notice my voice. But, you know, I've always liked to know that someone's doing a lot worse than I am in the world and writes this kind of music. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Shout forward, mate. Jeez. And with that, we are at our final destination for this week's episode. I think this episode did quite well. I think there's a lot of, I don't know, three or four penis strokes this week, Danny. Uh, look, I've just given up on you, so <laughs> they just dig it in, in one or the other, mate. Yeah, I guess they do, but we are coming to the end of the year, guys, and we promised a end of the year special, and what we're going to do for you is go live for it. We're going to do our top 10 albums of the year, and we're going to have a great prizes installed for that, so you guys want to check out that in a couple of weeks when we go live. But next week's show, we are doing a fan question, and the fan question, what is it, Danny? It's very controversial and thought-provoking question so that's why you can tell it's not our question yeah and it's pretty much can you like a band even though off ca- off camera off instruments they can be really bad or evil evil people now this was said by mitch ramsey wasn't it, Danny? mitch ramsey yes. yeah so obviously he doesn't want us to have any jokes on the episode because it's gonna be pretty tough but we're gonna really look forward to what you guys have to say about it. i think something like this here a lot of people have different opinions on and we're looking forward to hearing it but until next week, guys, I am Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'll be Super Metal Brother Dan. And just remember, uh, it won't be long. We'll meet again. Your memory is never passing. It won't be long. We'll meet again. My love for you is everlasting. <laughs> it won't be 25-year anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make sure you go check out Kill Stitch Engage in everywhere but Adelaide, all right? Yeah, I guess so. All right, see you later, guys. <laughs>